good. You know, we have a funny kind of picture of heaven sometimes. That's where I want to start tonight. Um, when I say think of heaven, you know, I mean just what, what jumps into your mind. Probably all kinds of, you know, funny things, things we've seen in movies, TVs, drawings, cartoons. But for a lot of people, what they think of heaven is they think of there's these, there's these big gates, right? And there's these big pearly gates and they're kind of in the clouds and that's what heaven is like. And, and then we have this thing in our culture that, we, uh, that is a kind of a common thing we have where we, we say that St. Peter, you know, is standing at the gates, right? Anybody ever heard that? St. Peter's standing at the gates. In fact, there's jokes about that. Anybody ever heard jokes about that? Now, I don't even know why St. Peter gets the job. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, it could be any one of the other disciples. I'm not sure why it has to be St. Peter of all people, but he gets to stand there and he gets to be the one that takes in all of these jokes, right? So, um, or there's cartoons and stuff like that. So, um, um, for instance, like, like this joke. Can I, can I tell you a joke tonight? Can we, can we be funny at Tabernacle for a minute? So uh, St. Peter's, you know, standing outside of heaven and usually has this desk and there's these big pearly gates, which look strangely like, you know, things I've seen in Beverly Hills, but I don't know what that is. So there's these gates that are there and Peter's standing there and there's this uh, cabbie and he comes up and St. Peter looks through his book because there's always a book, right? And he's looking through his book and he's like, oh, he's excited. He's like, yeah, come on in. He's like, why don't you grab a silk robe right here and a golden rod? He's like, oh, great. So he takes a silk robe, golden rod, walks up. Right behind him is, is, is a preacher, a pastor. Um, like myself, and, and, and the pastor comes up, and Peter looks through the book, and he kind of gives him a look like, oh, man. He's like, well, all right, we'll, we'll let you in. We'll let you in. It's okay. pastor's like, what's going on here? He says, yeah, but grab that wooden staff and grab that scratchy wool robe. pastor's like, no, wait a minute. He's like, that cabbie guy, you know, the nice robe and the golden staff. And he goes, surely I raid ahead of the cabbie. And St. Peter looked at the preacher, and he said, listen, this is heaven. And all we care about are results up here. When you preached, people slept. When that cabbie drove his taxi, people prayed. <laughs> so that's good. You laughed. See, I, if you hadn't laughed, I had a second joke prepared. But since you laughed, I could spare you the second joke because that was good. So you can catch me afterwards for the second joke. But thank you. That was very good. The problem with this, even though it's funny, is that it's completely untrue. And maybe that's why it's, it should be funny to us because it is completely ridiculous. I mean, it has no basis in reality whatsoever. What it does is it turns heaven in our minds into kind of this exclusive residence or maybe even like this celestial nightclub with Peter outside as a bouncer, you know, and only certain people can get in and you have to know like a secret password or a code word or you have to have the right credentials or enough money or in, in our terminology, enough good works to get yourself into heaven. And that's the problem is that's a completely false view of of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, there's nobody standing outside deciding who gets in and who doesn't get in. In fact, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the story in the scriptures of when Jesus was teaching on the earth and some people were bringing their children to see him, right? And there are the disciples lined up like the secret service, like blocking the way and like, no, no, we can't have any kids in here. No, no, no kids. And when Jesus sees this happening, do you remember what, what, what Mark says in his gospel, how Jesus felt? He was indignant. Jesus was indignant, and he says, what are you doing? These are exactly the kind of people that should be coming to me. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is open to children. You need to clear the way and let those children come to me. And so as we, as we think about that story, I think about the emotions of Jesus. And see, there's a side of Jesus that we don't often like to think about, right? The side that can get indignant or frustrated or even mad, or angry. Because yes, Jesus could feel and experience all of those things. Now we know that Jesus was kind and loving. That is true beyond the shadow of a doubt. Jesus was gentle and humble. That's how he described himself. He was passionate. He took care of people. 
But we also forget that being fully human, he was probably brilliant. Probably was the smartest guy in the room at any one time. I think he was very funny and humorous. In fact, sometimes I think he was even sarcastic. I don't know for sure, but it seems like it when he's talking to some people. And yes, he could get frustrated. He could get indignant. He could get angry. He could get mad. And so you start to wonder, well, what kind of things would make Jesus so riled up? What kind of things would, would cause that reaction in him? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. And actually for the next several weeks here at Tabernacle, we're going to be talking about this. What gets Jesus really ticked off is this. When religion stands in the way of a relationship with God. When the kingdom of heaven is turned into kind of an elitist society. When the church becomes like a club. And Jesus gave a critique of religion. And he gave a critique of the people who were leading the religion of his time. In Matthew chapter 23, when he, decide, when he says that he's going to pronounce these woes, they're called, upon the Pharisees and religious leaders. Woes are like uh, warnings of danger, warnings of judgment. Because somewhere along the line, they've, they've got everything mixed up. The, the way that they're practicing religion is actually keeping people from coming to God instead of doing what it's supposed to, which is to facilitate people coming from God. So we're going to look at some things over the next few weeks. And Ryan Spooner and I are going to be teaching over the summer. And I'm calling this Missing the Point, Jesus' Critique of Religion. And we're going to look at different ways through this text that, that religious people, and then people in general really, can miss the point. But specifically those people who, who, who want to follow God, who build a religion. And, and I want to say right off the bat, I'm not just talking about Christianity. I believe Jesus' critique of religion is a critique of all religions, no matter what religion it is. Because in religion, because it's generally a man-generated system, we have tendencies to go off track. We have tendencies to do things which are wrong that would actually hinder other people from coming to God. And we need to be very careful about these things because there is a lot of things, you know, that Jesus talks about and he deals with. And, but there are a few things that he really gets angry and frustrated and upset about. And uh, we thought it would be interesting to pay attention to a few of those things that made Jesus really mad. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 23. Before I show the verse tonight, sorry, ha, ha tricked you, Tim. Before I show that verse tonight, I want to read the prelude to what he said. So Ryan and I are going to focus on these, these, these pronouncements of woe, of danger, of judgment against the Pharisees. But before that, Jesus doesn't speak to them. He speaks to the crowds that are listening to him, and he speaks to the disciples and kind of in his prelude. So I just want to read the prelude before I jump in. And it's found in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples... The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So he begins by saying, listen, before I go into my critique of religion, at least the way it's being practiced right now, I want to tell you you need to be careful. Because among religious leaders, there are dangers. They have to do with pride. 
They have to do with hypocrisy. And they have to do with spiritual oppression. And you need to have your eyes opened to be able to see that. Because these are things that are wrong. These are things that are an offense to God my Father. And they are an offense to me. So then Jesus goes on to say, and I'm going to look at the first two tonight. Look at verses 13 and 15 with me. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And then he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Now, that's not a harsh word. I don't know what is. I mean, look at that again. Just look at that again. He says, you travel all over the world to make a single convert, and they're twice as fit for hell as you are. I mean, that's pretty tough. That's pretty hard line. Now, i got to make a quick side comment, because if you read this in your Bible or if you look at it at home, unless you have the King James, there's no verse 14. Okay? It goes from 13 to 15. Isn't that weird? It just skips over verse 14. Okay, so I'm just going to do an aside real quick and tell you what happened, because I know some of you are studious, and you're like, why does it skip from 13 to 15? Well, verse 14 um, in the old King James Version in some manuscripts was another woe that Jesus gave uh, to the Pharisees, saying that you, you, you basically are taking advantage of widows, and you're trying to make a show of your prayers in public, and therefore you're going to be judged very severely, okay? And what happens is that particular teaching of Jesus is found in Mark chapter 14 and in Luke chapter 20, and so what people believe is that some of the people who translated and transcribed the Bible saw that it related and they just took it from one of the other Gospels and put it there. So that's why you don't see it in the New Translations. It's not that Jesus didn't say it. He said it in a different spot. And just to kind of be faithful to Matthew, they decided to take it out. But they left the verse numbers the same. So you'll see it skip from 13 to 15. So they go one right after each other. But what is Jesus saying in here, what, what, is it, what is the warning that we should heed? Because it would be very easy to just say, oh, yeah, man, those were, those were the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They're like the bad guys of the Bible sometimes, you know. And we, and we push everything off on them, you know. And we just say that was for them at that time and that place. But knowing that humans are humans and knowing that we tend to make the same mistakes as human beings over and over again. And that there is an evil that lies within all of our hearts that is the same, that goes to the root of our nature as humans. And the sinful nature that has been passed on to us from Adam and Eve, there is something within us and within the way we organize ourselves that could be in the danger of doing the very same things. And I think we would do well to hear this warning tonight, to know what it is that Jesus is saying so that we don't fall into the same kind of things. Because here's the problem, we don't want to shut the door to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And yet that is what is happening all the time. And here's what I believe Jesus is saying. Here's my main point tonight that I want to explain and expound upon for just a few minutes. I believe that Jesus is saying that religion should never tell people who's in and who's out. And friends, the church, religions have been doing that for far too long. We spend so much of our time trying to decide who's in and who's out. And let me be very clear, I'm not talking about a particular community per se, okay? Like, like if we were to say, okay, we're going to decide who can come to Tabernacle, who's really in and who's really out. I, I'm not talking about that per se, and here's the reason. Because any organization, any community of people has to make decisions. And if there was someone that was being abusive in our community, we would tell them they don't belong. They don't have a place to abuse anyone in our community, Right? 
So I'm not talking about that. Let me be clear. Because communities have to make decisions that when someone's actions begin to negatively affect the rest of the community, then yes, we do have a right as a community, as a particular gathering of people to say, no, we need you to stay out. That's healthy. I'm not talking about that. When I say in and out, I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven. I'm talking about making a judgment on whether someone is going to heaven or someone is going to hell. That's what I'm talking about. The most cosmic sense of the word We should not do that. So even though we may need to exert discipline, be it in our own families or in the place where we work or in our schools or in our churches, we can do that. But we should never go so far as to say, well, then that person, it means they don't belong in the kingdom of heaven anymore and there's no chance for them and we write them off. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference in that. And so when I say religion shouldn't say who's in and who's out, I'm saying we shouldn't be bothered about who's going to get into heaven and who shouldn't get into heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to God. And Jesus came to announce that he is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Yes, Jesus is the way. He is the only way. But friends, he doesn't need bouncers in front of him. He doesn't need security guards. He doesn't need someone sitting at a desk like a receptionist telling people, you got to wait for your appointment to see Jesus. Jesus came to clear away all of that stuff. He came to open up the pathway for people to understand that the kingdom of heaven is for everyone. And that means anyone can come in. Now it doesn't mean everyone will come in because not everyone responds to the invitation. Imagine receiving an invitation, a beautiful invitation in the mail. And it's just wonderfully designed and it's inviting you into the kingdom of heaven. It's inviting you to a banquet with God himself as the host. And you're invited to eternal life forever with the living God who created you and loved you. And you receive that invitation. You have to choose what to do with it, don't you? You have to choose whether or not to respond to it. And not everyone will choose to come into the kingdom. But Jesus is saying, God forbid and woe to you when someone does come with an invitation. And you say, no, no, I'm sorry. You don't belong here. And that's what we do in religion sometimes, is we build these structures, we build these walls and doors that keep people out. And the interesting thing in the text, he said that the Pharisees themselves found themselves on the outside. They were building this thing to keep people out, and once they had it built, Jesus says, you're not even in. You've kept yourself out of the kingdom. And how do we do that today? Here's how we do it in religion, and I mean religions of all kinds. This is what religion does. We devise rules and guidelines and expectations And we nail them together with shame and with guilt and with oppression and with coercion. And then we paint it over with power and achievement and prestige. And we create this edifice that is offensive to God because God isn't within it. In fact, you know what the funny thing is? When we build through religion walls and doors to keep people out, you know who we end up keeping out is Jesus himself. You say, well, wait a minute, how can that happen? How can you have a church? How can you have a a church that, that Jesus isn't in the church? Jesus is outside the church. Well, you need to look at Revelation chapter 3, where there's this famous, famous verse. We have pictures of it. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open it, I would come in and I would have fellowship with you and I would be with you. And how have we interpreted that over the ages? We've said the, the door is the door to our heart, right? And everyone has a door to their heart. And Jesus is knocking at my heart. And if I'll just open the door to my heart, then Jesus will come in and he'll live inside of me. And he'll live in my heart and I'll have eternal life. Now, I'm not saying that that's completely wrong. It's not, but it's not what the verse says. 
in the verse, Jesus is talking to the church. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to people who had agreed and believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he died for the sins and rose again from the dead, who had received the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you think you're something. I'm on the outside of your church, and I'm knocking at the door, and I would love to get back in, but you won't let me. What church is willing to hear that in this day and age? What church wants to find themselves in that position? But when, like the Pharisees, we shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, that's exactly what we are doing. We're shutting the door to Jesus. For every time society, anywhere in society, drew a line and said, we are the privileged ones, we belong here, and this line, you stay over there, Jesus every single time stepped across the line. He said, well, I'm going to stand here then. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had done. They drew lines. You're poor. You have illness. You're a woman. You're not a Jew. And Jesus said, guess what? I'm with the poor. And I'm with the sick. And I'm going to stand with the women. And I'm going to go out to the people that aren't Jewish. And I'm going to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is for everyone. It's for the widows. It's for the orphans. It's for the oppressed. It's for the misfits. It's for the prostitutes and thieves and junkies and homeless people and people that are misshapen and disfigured and people that are handicapped and people that are told they are too young or they are too old or they are too fat or they're too ugly or they're not very bright or they're ignored or they're overlooked or they're forgotten. And through all of the Gospels, Jesus' life and all of his teachings scream that the kingdom of heaven is for these people. And therefore, the kingdom of heaven is for everyone. He throws the doors wide open to the kingdom of heaven and says, now that I'm here, you can come to me and through me. Reminds me of the story of an example of this, of Jesus, when he was speaking with a woman, and it was by a well side in Samaria, and Jesus was breaking down all of these barriers. He wasn't supposed to be talking to a woman. He wasn't supposed to be talking alone to a woman. That wasn't very proper. And she had kind of a questionable reputation. And she was a Samaritan, which means that she was not pure Jewish. She was kind of a mixed race, mixed blood kind of person. And, and, and Jesus is speaking with her and talking with her, and they had differences of opinion about religion and religious practice and see how you could access it. See, before Jesus, that was how you, you gained access to God. You needed a structure, you needed a form, you needed a way that you could come and have access to God. And the Jews said, well, you've got to come to the temple in Jerusalem. That's the way you've got to come and have access to God. That's what worship is. Worship is access to God. And, and she said, but my people, we teach that you have to come up on this mountain. And you have to go up to this place in order to worship God. And remember what Jesus said to her? There's coming a time when you'll worship neither on that mountain nor in Jerusalem, but everyone will be able to worship in spirit and in truth. That's one of the amazing things, friends, that Jesus has done. Jesus has said, you don't need anything else anymore because I'm here. And you can have direct access to God through me. Anytime, anywhere, any place, everywhere. And it's open to everyone. And that's what Jesus is saying. And that's what Jesus proclaims. And we need to beware of the ways that we put hindrances to people, the ways that we block people from coming to the kingdom of heaven, from hearing this message 
and responding to it. And so there's a couple of things, I think, that apply to us tonight. One is simply this. This is really, really good news. You know why it's good news? Because you need to realize that you can come to the kingdom of heaven and you can come into God's love and and you don't need to go through any kind of red tape. You don't have to fill out a form and wait to be qualified. You don't have to say a secret code or a secret password or know the special handshake. You don't have to follow guidelines and rules and expectations that are reinforced with guilt and shame and pressure and power and politics that just lead to hypocrisy. You don't have to play those games because you don't need it anymore. You've never really needed it. All you need to know is that you're thirsty and Jesus says, I've got living water. And all you need to know is that you're hungry and your soul for God. And Jesus says, I will come to you and you can come to me and that's all that you need. That's all that you need is just a willingness to come because the invitation has been extended to you and you can respond to it. And every week we're praying as this team that if there are those here tonight that haven't responded to that invitation, that you would do so. That maybe something tonight would click in your head and you would say, you know what, this invitation is for me. I don't have to wait to come to Jesus. I don't have to clean up my life. I don't have to have anything except the desire and a willingness to get up And say, okay, Jesus, I'm coming. And Jesus is there with open arms. And the only thing Jesus is saying to his Christians, to his followers, to his church, is that will you get out of the way? (laughs) Will you help these people? Will you take their hand and bring them to me? Will you walk alongside of them? Will you give them some water? Will you give it? Can you imagine Jesus? I mean, you've all dealt with frustrating receptionists, right? I mean, amen. We know we got people that feel like they're the guardians of whatever office they control, you know? Can you imagine Jesus just walking as the boss and being like, oh, don't worry about that. He's handing out drinks to people. He's saying, come on, everybody come in. You're welcome. You're welcome. This place is your home. You're welcome. If you've never responded to that invitation, then please do so. Please do so. You can do it anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And lastly, this is it. I want us to think about, those of us who know Christ, how would God want us to apply this in our life? And I don't know. I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But God may reveal in the next couple of minutes that, man, maybe there's some way that I'm standing in the way. And God, would you reveal that to me? God, would you help me to step out of the way? Or maybe you know somebody tonight. And I thought about this a lot today. I thought, man, we all know people that feel like they're shut out, right? They feel like they're shut out from God. Maybe it was something somebody said or they experienced or they have, a, they have some kind of attitude or opinion, right, about Jesus, about the church, about Christians. Maybe we could pray tonight. Maybe God would allow us like Jesus to go out to those people and to try to help them understand that God's invitation is for them and that God loves them. And maybe God would, allow, would use us, if he so chooses, to clear the way a little bit. So that those people who feel like they've been ignored and overlooked and forgotten and shut out would realize that they are welcome. Because we all need to work together. We're the body of Christ. We need to work together so that those kingdom values can be expressed and lived out. So let's ask God to help us do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you tonight. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone here tonight that needs to come to you, Lord Jesus, that they would even in this moment say yes to the invitation that you've placed in their hand. Every single one of you has been given an invitation to have fellowship with God, to have eternal life with God. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly and amazingly than you ever could have imagined. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. 
And Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts right now? Search our minds, search our lives. Is there anything in us, Lord, that's offensive to you? Is there anything in us that shuts doors in people's faces or keeps people from coming into the kingdom of heaven? Lord, have we been judgmental? Have we been prideful? Have we been ignorant of what's going on around us? Holy Spirit, would you just convict us where we need to be convicted tonight? And forgive us. And as you forgive us, release us to participate in your work of helping people come to you instead of hindering them. Finally tonight, Lord, we pray for those people we know who who have been shut out, unfortunately. Lord, we know that that in all places, Lord, you're, you're knocking at the doors of churches. Jesus, I even believe you're knocking at the doors of mosques and synagogues, Jesus, and temples and all kinds of places where there's an empty religion and where people are longing for God, but what they're being taught is keeping them from the truth. Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit would break through those strongholds. In Jesus' name, we pray that those walls would come down. In Jesus' name, we pray that those doors would be open. In Jesus' name, we pray that those that you desire so much to reach would be reached. Thank you, Jesus. And I invite you tonight in this moment to think of people that you know who are still far away from God. Or or, or maybe they're close. They're, They're just so close. They're not quite there yet. Would you pray for them tonight? Pray earnestly for them. Ask God to show you how you might be able to go out and reach out to them. And open up the doors to the kingdom of heaven for them. And help them to see all the wonders that you have. All that you have for them, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking a hard, critical word to those that needed to hear it. Thank you for being willing to to challenge the false authority and the pride and the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Lord, if that's what we need today, then help us to hear that word. Help us to be challenged, God. Lord, in my life, I never want to do anything that would stand in the way, Lord. So forgive me and heal me and change me. God, make us more like you. More like you, Jesus. Continue to pray. Continue to lift up those people that God's bringing to your mind. Or continue to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Where is there change that's needed in your life? Oh, God wants to forgive you tonight. Some of you can stop being prideful tonight. You can stop being judgmental and critical tonight. Jesus, we want to be a people that opens the door to you. I hope, Jesus, that you don't even have to knock. (laughs) But I just, we open the door and we invite you in, Jesus. Would you dwell with us? Would you dwell with us and open all the doors and the windows? Just open this place up, God. Let it be filled with your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah.